actually going to read uh, just verses, uh, verses 12 through 22, not through 25, as is in your bulletin. Before I read that, before we read that together, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to draw near to you uh, through uh, prayer, through praise, but also through uh, hearing your word. Uh, We pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, We know, Father, that uh, it is ultimately about the work of your spirit uh, using your word to pierce our hearts, and so we pray that you would work by your Spirit to draw us close to you this morning, that you would be glorified in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, John chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Why are there holy places in the world? Uh, What what does it say about people that that they erect Uh, holy sites or set apart holy places. I mean, think about it, you know, Mecca for Muslims and Jerusalem for Jewish people and temples in India to Shiva and Buddha, Uh, parts of the central Australian desert even to the Arnangu Aborigines. Uh, The very fact of holy places or sacred sites all around the world says something, says something about human beings and our desire to connect with the holy We long for a relationship with something bigger than ourselves. We want intimacy with the divine. This desire and longing is built in. It doesn't go away with secularism, right? We we just rename it and we look for the transcendent in different places. We still talk about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Uh, Modern-day people seek the transcendent in things as diverse as volunteering for global causes or communing with nature or self-actualization or being a part of a team of any kind or music or movies or drugs or sex. 
any experience which might lift us out of ourselves for a moment or lift us out of the mundane feels transcendent. Filmmakers and musicians have almost perfected this, right? Bringing the audience to a place of wonder and awe and elation and joy. Americans may be less religious than ever, but we continue to chase the transcendent because that longing is built in. We're going to talk about that connection to the transcendent as as intimacy, ultimately intimacy with the triune God. And we'll answer four questions about this intimacy. What, What is intimacy? Where is it found? Why is it so hard? And how can we know it? Uh, First, what is intimacy? What am I even talking about? Uh, We can answer this question a couple uh, of different ways in a couple of different levels. Uh, First, why did I choose this word, intimacy? I mean, there there were other contenders, right? I could have used the word relationship. I I could uh, talk about our relationship with God. Uh, But I have a kind of relationship with my car mechanic, and I wanted to highlight something that was more than that. Uh, I, I could have talked about fellowship, but I'm not so sure that that word carries much weight with most of us. I could have used the word communion. I really like the word communion. Uh, The danger here is that we, when we use that word often in the church, we limit it to, uh, quote, communion or to the Lord's Supper. And we don't think of it as something bigger than that. But really, when when we use the word communion, it's something that's all-encompassing, right? All of life is about communion with our God. And so I chose this word intimacy, uh, but I could have used uh, relationship or fellowship or communion, and I would have been getting at more or less the same thing. But what do we mean by that? What do we mean by intimacy? What is it? Uh, Remember where we are in John's gospel. John started with the biggest possible perspective, right? The eternal word uh, became flesh in the person of Jesus, In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist bore witness about him as the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. And certain of John's disciples begin to follow Jesus. Last week, we looked at the story of the wedding at Cana, Jesus turning the water into wine. We saw that Jesus came to bring joy, ultimately joy in him as our bridegroom. This morning, we're looking at the story, which is sometimes called the cleansing of the temple. And on the surface, these two stories, the wedding at Cana and the cleansing of the temple, uh, don't relate. One is about Jesus celebrating at a wedding. Uh, The other is about Jesus angry in the temple. Uh, In one, Jesus is providing wine for the party. In the other, Jesus is breaking up the party, right? Putting an end to the money changers and the merchants in the temple complex, And yet, I think the the two stories do relate. That's why John puts them here, right, together for us, and it's helpful to see how. Uh, Both stories are ultimately about the joy of intimacy. In the story of the wedding feast, Jesus is anticipating his union with his people and the celebration which follows. But the temple was the place on earth where present intimacy happened. The, The temple was the place where God met with his people. And that in in two senses. Uh, First, intimacy is about drawing near. And that's true even on a human level, isn't it, right? Whether we're talking about the intimacy uh, of of family or friends or lovers, intimacy involves a certain proximity, right? A certain closeness, most often physical closeness. Uh, You're being with people. 
uh, but it, it could be other kinds of closeness as well. Uh, in our technological, technological age, it may be less physical often as we uh, talk with people through various means. But either way, there's a, there's a drawing near between two people that is of the essence of intimacy. Uh, this is what happened in the temple as well. Uh, to come to the temple was to draw near to God. Uh, we read a few psalms about that earlier. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, that is the temple, all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The desire of the psalmist was to draw near to his God in the temple. Or Psalm 22, 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So by intimacy, we simply mean drawing near, drawing near to God. But intimacy is more than that. It's also opening up, right? To, to be in close physical proximity with someone in and of itself is not intimacy. It may just mean you're on a city bus or a subway train. Intimacy means drawing near and opening up. It means coming close without masks, without the metaphorical kind of masks, right? It means drawing near without pretense, uh, this is why the first thing that happens in the temple is the confession of sin and removal of sin. Uh, there, there's no communion, no fellowship, no intimacy when we put up barriers. This is why we confess our sins together every week, right? We, we must come to God open and honest, taking off the masks, right? Not showing God the self you want people to see, but the self as you really are, drawing near and opening up. So this is a little bit of what intimacy is, right? Intimacy is communion, it's fellowship, it's a relationship, it's, it's drawing near and opening up to another. But when we talk about intimacy with God, where is it found? Where do you meet with God? Uh, you can't commune with someone if you, if you can't find them, if you don't know where they are. Uh, one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs is called Fool in the Rain, uh, it's a fun, uh, playful song in which the singer is meeting a girl for a date, and he's standing on the corner watching the clock, wondering why she's not showing up, feeling a little bit insecure, and every tick of the clock, his heart sinks lower until he realizes that he's waiting on the wrong block. Right? Knowing where to meet someone is pretty important. Where do you meet with God? Are you standing on the wrong block? Now, before you answer that question about where intimacy is found, you might ask a, a, a question before that, can it be found at all? Uh, is it possible to draw near to the God of the universe? I mean, even in Scripture, it is difficult at times to give a confident yes. I mean, God created humanity, man and woman, to relate to him, to dwell with him, to experience intimacy with him in the garden. But because of humanity's sin, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They were expelled from God's presence. Sin disrupted intimacy. Sin put an end to unhindered communion. And yet God is gracious. He desires communion with his people. We see it throughout the scriptures. And the high point of that in the Old Testament is God has Israel build the temple. And in the temple, God would meet with his people. God says he would dwell in the midst of Israel, or at least cause his name to dwell there. And the temple was where Israel would come to meet with God. No longer was Israel cast out of God's presence, but they were invited into his presence. And so intimacy was available once again. 
But notice, intimacy is available where God has promised to meet. And multiple times in the book of Exodus, while explaining how to build the temple, God says, there I will meet with you. And there I will meet with you means there and not elsewhere. There and not everywhere. If you say to someone, let's have lunch at noon at Jimmy John's, and then you show up at two at Culver's, right, you're going to miss them. God had promised to meet with his people in the temple. Now, in our text this morning, Jesus comes to the temple, the place for meeting with God, and yet people aren't meeting with God there. Uh, In fact, the, the outer court has become a virtual farmer's market. What does Jesus do? Well, he carefully and patiently braids together a whip and drives the people with their sheep and oxen, the merchants and the money changers, out of the temple. The religious leaders, right, which is probably what is meant by the Jews here. Remember, everyone in the story is Jewish. So when John mentions the Jews, he's mentioning some particular subset of the Jewish people. Uh, So the religious leaders here ask Jesus a question in verse 18. They say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what are your credentials? What gives you the right to tell us how to run the temple? Who are you to do these things? And Jesus' answer is important to understanding where intimacy is found today. Jesus says in verse 19, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, the Jewish leaders completely missing the point respond in verse 20, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and it wasn't even finished at that point, by the way. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Now, as a a side note, this, by the way, tells us uh, with pretty good accuracy when this story took place. Because historians know when Herod uh, began to build the temple, it was in the 18th year of Herod the Great's reign, so they can calculate adding 46 years from that, which brings us to about AD 27 or 28. And yet the Jewish leaders, when they say that, they're completely missing the point. When Jesus says, destroy this temple, Jesus, uh, John himself tells us that Jesus is talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God come to tabernacle among us to dwell in our midst. And so what is the sign that Jesus has authority to demand they clear out the temple? Well, the sign would be when they destroy the true temple, Jesus' body, and he raises it up again on the third day. The resurrection is the great demonstration of the authority of Jesus. And yet we shouldn't skip too quickly to that because something amazing was just said. Jesus' body is the temple. That's where God meets with man in the person of Jesus. He is the one, therefore, who has the right to say how that should take place. Where is intimacy found? Intimacy is found where God promises to meet with his people. In Israel, that was in the temple. But today, that is in the person of Jesus, the true temple where God dwelt with man where he tabernacled among us, as John puts it in John 1.14. And so Jesus is the holy place. Jesus is, is the sacred space, right? He is the place of intimacy with the Father. And this is why Jesus will say later in John that he is the way to the Father and that no one comes to the Father except through him. God says of Jesus to us, there I will meet with you, there and nowhere else. 
Now, some people find that offensive, right? Why should God only meet with people in Jesus? I mean, why be so narrow? Why so exclusive? And there are a couple of of parts to that answer. Uh, One, because there and there only has God shown up in human skin, right? There, heaven and earth meet in a person. As God dwelt with his people in the temple, so God came down to dwell with his people in Jesus. To meet with God, we must come to God, and God has come to us in Jesus that we might come to him in Jesus. And yet there's more, right? In the temple, there were sacrifices. Confession was made. Blood was shed. Ritual cleansing took place. Sinful people were were ceremonially forgiven and cleansed in order to ceremonially be in God's presence. But we need a greater cleansing because we seek a greater presence. So Jesus comes to do what the blood of bulls and goats could not do, what the whole temple system could not do. He comes as the Lamb of God to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He comes to bring full and complete forgiveness to those who trust in him. Jesus was abandoned by the Father for sin at the cross. He was cast out that we might draw near. He, he bore wrath for our sin that we might be open about our sin without fear of condemnation. Jesus knew rejection that we might know intimacy. So God says of Jesus to us, there I will meet with you because there heaven and earth meet. There our sins are forgiven. There we are made clean in order to draw near. There we are made right with the Father in Jesus. So what is intimacy? It's, it's drawing near and opening up. Where is it found? Intimacy is available where God promises to meet with us, and that is today in the person of his son, Jesus. Why is it so hard? You know, I wonder how many Christians uh, would go around saying that they enjoy uh, daily heartfelt intimacy with God through Jesus. Uh, How many Christians would say, I enjoy daily communion, daily fellowship with my father through his son? My guess is, if, if you stop and really think of it, not that many. Now, maybe I'm just cynical, maybe I'm wrong, that could be the case. But I think many of us struggle to find the intimacy that is available in Jesus. And that's because intimacy is not easy. That is just as true on a human level as it is on the heavenly, isn't it? It's hard to get close to people. It's hard to open up. And there are so many distractions, right? So many other things that vie for our attention. And that's also true on the heavenly level, right? God has opened the way to communion for us, but it's hard for us to open up to him. And even when we do, intimacy itself is so easily interrupted. It's hard for us to open up because of fear. And we've already talked about the antidote to fear, right? We're afraid of being rejected. That's why we hide. We're afraid that someone will reject us. We're afraid that God will reject us. We are afraid of being rejected, afraid of not being loved, afraid of not being accepted. But Jesus was rejected that we might enjoy intimacy. John says in a letter to a church in his day that perfect love casts out fear. When you are loved perfectly and know that you are loved perfectly, fear goes away. And we can have confidence and we can with confidence draw near and open up. So know the the love of the Father in Jesus and you will find freedom to draw near. But even if we can get to that point where the fear is gone because we know that we're loved, intimacy is still easily interrupted. 
Uh, think about what's going on in this story. Uh, did you ever wonder why Jesus is so harsh to these people? Uh, here they are, minding their own business in the temple, merchants and money changers doing their job. They were there to help people worship after all. Right? The people had to buy animals for sacrifice. People had to exchange money to the right currency to pay the temple tax. And Jesus uses a whip to drive them out of the temple. Why? Now, some would answer that question like this. They say, well, the merchants and the money changers, they were, they were overcharging people. They were taking advantage of the people. They were price gouging. And Jesus was tired of their taking advantage, and so he drives them out. The, the problem is, and though there may be something to that, that's not actually what John says. Again, that may have been a part of it. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, Jesus says, my house is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Uh, that makes it seem like they are doing something intrinsically wrong, a den of robbers. But here Jesus simply says, do not make my father's house a house of trade. You've turned my father's house into a farmer's market. And the point to note is this, e even if every vendor was perfectly upright in their business dealings, there is something terribly wrong here. They have taken the place of worship, the place of meeting with God, and turned it into a Black Friday sale. How can people draw near to God when they are busy buying and selling? How can people think about the, the honesty necessary to confess sin when they're busy haggling over prices? You see, one of the, the biggest hindrances to intimacy with our Father is, is simple distraction. There, there are so many other things going on that stop us from drawing near. Uh, think about the parable of the soils. Uh, that's a, a parable Jesus tells elsewhere. The, the seed of God's word is scattered on different hearts, and one heart is hard and refuses to receive the seed of the word. One is good and produces fruit. What about the other two? Well, one lacks rootedness, and so persecution causes it to fall away. But the other, Jesus calls the seed sown among thorns. And he says this in Mark 4, 18 to 19, others are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. See, cares and riches and stuff, they, they all distract us. And those distractions can choke out any intimacy with God we might otherwise enjoy. Or, or think about another story. Think about the story of uh, Mary and Martha. It's the, the quintessential story about intimacy with God, drawing near to him. Uh, maybe you know the story. Martha is serving dinner to Jesus and his disciples while her sister Mary just sits and listens at Jesus' feet. And Martha is upset about this. And Jesus responds in Luke 10, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha is anxious and troubled and distracted about many things, so many dishes to prepare, right? So much to do. Everything had to be right. But Mary had chosen the good portion. What was the good portion? It was sitting at Jesus' feet. It was communion with Jesus. It was intimacy with Jesus. See, see and, and of course, this is only, I think, exacerbated in our age, right? We live in an age of distraction, characterized by distraction. The, the financial model of social media is built on distraction, right? Your attention is what they sell. What distracts you? What consumes your attention? It, it doesn't have to be bad to be distracting, again, even if the merchants and money changers were selling at cost and their goal was purely benevolent, they were still stopping people from worshiping. They were still distracting them from what they were there to do.
what distracts you? Uh, Since I've been thinking about this over the past week, I've noticed how often I get distracted while trying to pray and read my Bible. And not even just my mind wandering, that would be one thing, but full-on getting sidetracked, things wholesale derailing my time in God's presence. It, it, It was almost all, if not all, good things, or at least neutral things, you know, people and loved ones and ministry needs and theological questions and noticing the heat was off in the building. All kinds of things derailed me from sitting in God's presence. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to draw near to God in prayer. What, what distracts you from that? What sidetracks you? What gets in the way? It's not always possible to give our full attention, right? Young moms probably have it hardest because babies don't respect your quiet time. But many of our distractions are actually self-imposed. We want to be distracted. We, we invite distractions. We're, we're trying to fill our lives with the mundane, But that means we miss out. We miss out on drawing near to our Father. We are not present with Him, attentive to Him, and then we wonder why we feel so different, distant. We wonder why God feels so far off. Our intimacy is easily interrupted by so many distractions, right? So, So what is intimacy? It's drawing near and opening up to our Father. Where is it found? It's available where God promises to meet with us in the person of Jesus. Why is it so hard? Well, on the one hand, it's scary to open up and be honest. But even if we get past that, it's easily interrupted, right? Distractions get in our way of drawing near. So then then how do we know it? How do we overcome and draw near? Intimacy with God is available, but it's hard. And if both of those things are true, how can we enter into intimacy with our Father? How how do we draw near? And one of the first things we need to remember is that the distractions won't satisfy. Uh, they, They are poor substitutes for communion with Jesus. They make promises they can't fulfill. But true intimacy is found in Christ by his spirit. You know, intimacy is not something that we manufacture. We don't have to work ourselves up into some kind of emotional, spiritual frenzy. Jesus has opened the way to the throne of grace. Jesus, the God-man, the one clothed in our flesh, has entered into heaven and sat down at the Father's right hand so that our humanity, humanity is there in heaven right now. And if we belong to Christ, if we are in Christ by faith, then we are there as well, spiritually, seated at the Father's right hand in Jesus. And if we belong to Christ, then Jesus is in us. He's poured out his spirit on us to come and dwell in us. So we are in Christ in heaven, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and he is in us by his spirit on earth. There is this unbreakable bond between Christ and us which provides an an objective union which can lead to subjective intimacy. But objective union and subjective intimacy are not the same thing, right? A couple can be married their whole life long and never actually enjoy one another. They've entered into a legal union. They've not entered into experiential intimacy. So how do we draw near to Christ? How do we approach our bridegroom? Well, on the one hand, I need to say up front, right, there's no secret sauce. There's no magic formula. We draw near to Jesus through his word and the sacraments and prayer and community. If you want to draw near to Jesus, read his word and pray. Hebrews 4, which I mentioned earlier, says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Psalm 1 says the blessed man is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. Not every third Tuesday, right? but day and night meditating on the word of God. You may say, but uh, well, I don't really know how to do those things. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read my Bible. That's okay. Uh, step one is just start reading and praying. You know, babies don't take a course on walking. They, they just start doing it. And they fall down a lot, but they get back up and they learn to walk. Start reading, start praying, and ask Jesus to help you in that. Of course, there are, there are books that can help you, right? There are courses that you can take. Uh, but you may wonder, okay, why, why should it be so hard to draw near? Because this is like any other relationship. And relationships are hard. How many people, when they first get married, know how to be intimate with their spouse, know how to build that relationship from the ground up. That takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. But James 4.8 promises us that as we commit to drawing near to God, he will draw near to us. Someone very dear to me called me on the phone yesterday, and she was reading her Bible uh, kind of again for the first time. You know how that is. And, and God spoke to her through the passage in this really deep and convicting way, and she called me to ask is this right? Am I, am I understanding this right? And, and at one point she said, I knew when I started reading my Bible I would learn some stuff, but I didn't think I'd learn this kind of stuff. Right? See, we, we often think the Bible is a, is a tame book full of religious facts, and we think if I read the Bible, I'm going to learn some religious facts. We don't expect to be a living, it to be a living and active word, sword by which God pierces our hearts. But that's what it is, right? When we come to God's word, we draw near to God, and he is not a tame God. His word is not a tame word. Not that every time you read the Bible or pray, you're going to fall on your face with conviction, but we should read and pray expectantly, seeking for God to shake things up in our lives. We come to the Bible, not, not first to learn about the Bible, but to meet with our Father in heaven. We pray not first to get stuff from God, but to meet with him. Again, if you need help with that, right, if you're wondering, well, where, where do you start? A ask someone, right? Ask an elder in the church or ask someone older in the faith, right? Don't feel you have to figure it out on your own. But we draw near to Jesus through his word and through prayer. Second, if you would draw near to Jesus, participate in the life of the church. Spend time with other believers. Jesus promises that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among them. If you would spend time with Jesus, spend time with his people, participate in the, the regular worship of the church, come Sunday morning to read, uh, to, uh, ready to receive grace from Jesus through word and sacrament. And through it all, do whatever is necessary to set aside every distraction, to cut off the, uh, the offending hand and pluck out the offending eye, and God will meet with you as you pursue him. Again, not, not everyone can free up their schedule, it's true. What about people who work 18 hours a day just to pay the bills? Can God meet with them if they have 10 minutes to spend in his presence? Of course, right? God meets with us according to our desire and intention. If you can clear your schedule for an hour a day, great, do it. Draw near to your father for that hour. But if you genuinely cannot, right, do what you do unto Jesus and he will meet you there. God met Jacob while he was on the run. God met Joseph in a prison. God met Israel in the mud pits of Egypt. God met Gideon while he was hiding from the Philistines in an empty cistern. It's not always possible to give our full attention, but many of our distractions are self-imposed. We spend so much time doing other things in life, entertaining ourselves, busying ourselves, distracting ourselves. Take some of that and turn it Godward 
prioritizing time with your Father in heaven, doing whatever is necessary to make that happen. Uh, seek help from other Christians as you need it. And you'll fail often, and that's okay, right? Stop keeping score. Don't run the other way. In fact, use that as an excuse to draw near, to find the mercy and grace you need. If you fail, go to Jesus, tell him of your failure, and ask him for help. And that moment of dependence is actually the greatest inroad to intimacy that you've got. Remember, the the means of grace, the word and prayer, they're, they're not means of achieving your identity. They're not means of manufacturing intimacy or a means of making God like you. They are They're they're not disciplines in the sense of things you've got to get right or else. They are means of grace, means of communion, means of intimacy, means of dependence. That's what dependence upon Jesus looks like for weak and needy sinners and sufferers like us. Pursue it not just because you have to, but because you need to. Like a thirsty man needs water, like like a hungry man needs food, like a man in love needs to see his beloved. And yet also remember that though we are really and truly joined to Jesus now, we are not joined to him as we will be. We are engaged and we await the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will come a day when we will know an intimacy with Jesus that we cannot now fathom. When all distractions will disappear, when all substitutes will be seen for what they are, when every good thing in life will not take away from but only enhance our communion with Jesus. On that day, we will see him face to face. And whatever we experience or do not experience in the present, it will pale in comparison to what we will enjoy on that day. And so pursue intimacy now in, in anticipation of that great day to come. Let's pray. Our Father, we long to be near you. We long to be close to you. We long to, to know your love We long to have a sense of your constant care. We pray, Father, that you would help us to draw near. Help us to to rid our lives of distractions. Help us to, to pursue Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you sent your Son into the world, that we might know you, that we might draw near to you. We thank you that Jesus became a man, that we might have fellowship with God in the flesh. We pray that you would help us to draw near. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.